I am going to begin, uh, continue a sermon series that we started last week. Uh, last week we started this sermon series called Go Tell It, A Crash Course in Evangelism. Now Gino described evangelism last week as a medium-sized churchy word. It's not an everyday word, so it's helpful to have the same working definition of the word. And so what I did, as you might do, is I want to know the definition of a word, I Google it, right? Uh, so I Googled uh, the word evangelism, and I came up with a, a web page that had incorrect definitions of evangelism. And so I just want to take a moment to read a few of those to you. Um, evangelism is the process of telling people everything they believe is wrong. Uh, evangelism is awkwardly trying to sneak a Bible verse into every conversation. It's knocking on doors, holding the largest Bible you can find, and being told to leave. It's talking to every single person you ever meet in every single conversation about Jesus. It's God expecting you to convert people every time you talk to them. And now, for our purposes, we want to have a correct definition of evangelism. So evangelism is the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. Other definitions include sharing Jesus Christ with people who do not know him yet. And if you didn't listen to Gino's sermon from last week, I think it's important for you to go back and listen to that sermon. Last week he shared that the message of Jesus Christ is good news, and it's good news for everyone. And when we think about go tell it, last week addressed the it. Go tell the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the question I have for this week is, how do we go tell this good news? What is the next practical step? And so today I want to take a look at a story from the Bible that speaks to what we do with this good news. And so we're going to head to the book of Matthew this morning. Now, the book of Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels, and so while the book is anonymous, it is generally attributed to Matthew, the tax collector, and one of the twelve apostles. Matthew tells the story of Jesus and how this is the fulfillment and continuation of God's plan, and within this book, we see the genealogy of Jesus, including Jesus' birth, how his birth and the Immaculate Conception is the fulfillment of prophecy, and in the center of the book, we see Jesus as a teacher, told through different sections and preaching. And in chapters 4 through 7, we learn about God's rescue plan for the world. And we also are able to read the Sermon on the Mount. It's a very famous sermon that Jesus preached. And it, uh, during that sermon, he talked about how to live in God's kingdom. And then after this Sermon on the Mount, told in chapters 5 through 7, uh, we come to this next section of Matthew where we get to see stories of Jesus doing Jesus-y things. Things like healing and bringing the kingdom to a broken world. It is in the midst of these stories of Jesus bringing the kingdom into the lives of people that we read about this encounter between Jesus and Matthew the tax collector. And so would you join me please? We're going to head to Matthew chapter 9. Before I start reading, I want to take a moment to pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together as a church community, both here in person and online. Would you open up your word to us today? 
Would we be able to hear the truth? Would it land on our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll be in Matthew 9, beginning at verse 9. This section is titled, Jesus Calls Matthew. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Now, as I read this encounter between Jesus and Matthew, I'm struck by how much this story speaks to me about evangelism in a really practical way. And so as I was preparing for today's message, I asked myself the question, what's the most practical tool I can provide for people who are listening both here and uh, online so that you can leave today and tell others about Jesus? Like I was thinking, what would make the most impact? And so here's what I've come up with. We're actually going to work through this together. Together, but individually. Uh, And so I am a former teacher, uh, high school English teacher, and so I thought I'm actually just going to bring this whiteboard up. Um, Because teachers and whiteboards, right? So um, I'm going to, we're going to do a little lesson together. Uh, And so I know I'll try and move it because I know some from not all angles, but I'll make sure I do the best I can to make sure that everybody can do this. And so um, today we're going to talk about classwork, a practical step or practical steps toward evangelism. And so if you're tech savvy and you like to like take notes on your phone, I encourage you to take out your phones. Like this is the moment in student ministry. I say a lot like, hey, guys, can you put your phones away? But today in this setting, students bring out your phones. Everybody, if you want to, bring out your phones. We're going to take notes today. Now, if you prefer the paper version, I do have some paper on the back table there. If you'd like to, you feel free to get up and get paper if you need to, because we are going to be taking notes. Okay? And so, using Matthew's example, we're going to actually today, in class, write out an evangelism plan. All right? We're going to follow the format we see in Matthew 9. And so, when I look at the story of Matthew... I see a few things. First thing I see is that Matthew decides to follow Jesus. We see this in verse 9. He says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. So Matthew gets up and follows him. Secondly, I see that Matthew then facilitates an encounter with Jesus. We see this in verse 10. It says... Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. The third thing I see is that Jesus then shows up to the dinner party. In verse 11, Jesus deals with the haters, those Pharisees who say, why is your teacher eating with scum? 
He, Jesus reminds us of our purpose in verse 12 through 13. He says, who needs a doctor? Sick people need a doctor. Show mercy to people. And then I see that Jesus sends us on our way. In verse 13, he says, go take a look at the scripture, which points back to, if we were reading this in your Bible, you saw that it points back to a verse found in Hosea 6.6. And actually, that's your homework for this week, if you could write that down. Your homework for this week is to go back and read the book of Hosea because Jesus points people back to that verse. And so the theme of the book of Hosea is rich with metaphor, and so that's your homework. But Jesus sends us on our way, and he says, go spend your time doing this stuff. And so if I look at this example found in Matthew, I see that step one, Matthew has to decide if he's going to follow Jesus. And that's going to be step one for you and me. You have to decide to follow Jesus. Decide. Decide if you're going to follow Jesus. Now, it's an important piece of the equation because verse 9 is short. And it makes it sound really easy. Follow me, be my disciple. Okay, go. But here's what we know from the book of Matthew. Matthew would have heard about this Jesus fellow. There is backstory here that this one verse doesn't give us. But we can assume that Matthew knew about Jesus and what he was all about. In fact, if we just peek back at chapters 5 through 7, this is where Jesus preaches that Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been the fulfillment of prophecy that Matthew would have known about. He's, Jesus has been preaching about this upside-down kingdom. Jesus is teaching about loving God and loving people. Miracles are being performed. Lepers are being healed, and the blind are regaining their sight. Jesus has made a name for himself. And whatever it was about Jesus, Matthew has decided to follow Jesus. He has decided that the, the request of follow me and be my disciple, it warrants this response of getting up and following him. Now let's consider this for a moment. Jesus calls Matthew, Matthew follows Jesus. Because what Matthew has heard about him or what Matthew has heard from other people, other accounts, this call and response is not so different from what Jesus is doing for you and me. I mean, picture the scene. Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Jesus walks past. Matthew leaves his booth. What's your version of a tax collector's booth? You're minding your business, you're going about your job, you're doing your thing, and in walks Jesus. Now, maybe it's not the same flesh and blood Jesus that Matthew encounters, but maybe it's Jesus in the form of a neighbor or a coworker or a classmate, a parent or a grandparent. Maybe it's a billboard or a Fourth of July popsicle, a water bottle at Jewel. What does your encounter with Jesus look like? And when Jesus says, follow me, how do you respond? Well, I think there are at least three potential options. Matthew could just decide to not follow Jesus. Like, he could keep living his tax collector life. He could likely make a decent living. He might live a long life. He might do normal things. He might have money for the finer things in life. And that's an option for us today. We can have an encounter with Jesus 
and we can choose to not follow. But I think we will all have to wrestle with what we have seen and heard about Jesus. All of us who sit at a proverbial tax collector's booth will have to reckon with uh, verses like Psalm 19.1 that says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. When you consider creation, can you make sense of it all? In your moments of quiet and stillness, do you question your purpose or ask yourself what this life is all about? In your highest of highs and your lowest of lows, who holds you steady? And I would venture to guess that the longer one sits at the tax collector booth, the more those questions nag at our souls. The more we sit at that tax collector booth, the less things seem to make sense. And whether we move to follow Jesus or not, the questions will continue to come. So. There's another option, though, too. Matthew could sort of follow Jesus for a bit, but he could maintain residency at his booth. For example, he could tell his coworkers, like, hey, I'm going to go check this out real quick, um, but save my keys. I'll be back. And for us, this might translate to a version of leading kind of double lives. On Sunday mornings, we are buttoned up. We are here in church. We have our hands raised in worship. Amen, amen, amen. But we also lead a different kind of life. And let me tell you, this is an exhausting existence. To try and be the best version of yourself in some settings while also hiding that version of self from your good time buddies. Or hiding some secret addiction. This is like Matthew trying to be a tax collector during the day and a disciple on the evenings and weekends. His witness is shot in both places. And I would suggest to you that if you are trying to be both a disciple of Jesus and maintaining a separate type of life, you will exhaust yourself and you will lose your witness in both places. Depending on the scenario, your Christian friends and your non-Christian friends will eventually find you out. Now, there is the potential third option, and that's what we see happen in the text. You could be like Matthew and leave the booth and go follow Jesus. And this is a bold proclamation because it's saying something more than what it's just saying here in the text, right? This is saying that Matthew is leaving behind his old life, his, his way of living, his financial security, his identity, and he's leaving that behind to pursue a life with Jesus, to become a disciple. He left his job. He's walking away into the unknown a little bit. Now, because we have the book, we know how the story ends. Matthew's life was never the same. He lived an abundance of purpose as he gave his life to Jesus. He left the booth. How do you know if you've left the tax booth? How do you know you've started following Jesus? Maybe you can point to some behavior change or some freedom from addiction that once held you in bondage. Maybe it's the way you feel transformation in your heart. You're not as mad or sad or anxious or mean as you once were. But maybe your honest answer is you're not sure if you've left the tax collector's booth. 
Maybe you're thinking about actions that you're doing now. You're attending church and you're tithing. You serve at the food pantry. When it comes to activity, you have filled your calendar. But are you really following Jesus? Have you turned in the keys to your tax collector booth? Have you decided to adventure with Jesus? And maybe you can recognize that you're still sitting at the booth because you haven't heard enough yet. Like you need some more information. And that's okay too. Because there might be an encounter, but you're not so certain you're ready to leave. Let me assure you, Jesus has encountered you in some way. If you are sitting here today, if you are watching today, Jesus has encountered you. He's posed the encounter question, follow me and be my disciple. And the ball is now in your court. And as we begin our evangelism classwork today, this element is step one. Decide if you're going to follow Jesus. It's a necessary first step because if you don't square this piece away, the rest of the conversation makes no sense. Because that decision sets Matthew up and it sets us up for the next leg of our evangelism class. The next step that we see here in the text is that Matthew facilitates encounter. Write it down. Facilitates encounter. It's kind of hard. It makes me nervous to feel like I've spelled things wrong. You ever had to spell in front of a bunch of people? You'll let me know if I spelled incorrectly, right? In verse 10, it says, Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Now, see, I I see in this that Matthew had to have relationships with other people. He invited people and they showed up. And so we look at who did he invite? Well, he invites Jesus and his disciples and many tax collectors and disreputable sinners. And I gotta say, that's a mixed crowd, right? And as I consider church attendance here at the SSV, I want our church to be filled each Sunday and at each and every event with a similar kind of mix. Because a church is a hospital. And in a hospital, you've got sick and you've got doctors. You've got seekers and you've got seasoned. I would that our small groups and our student ministry gatherings and our events be a place where the just checking out Jesus people and the no doubt in my mind how great is his love Jesus people find themselves sitting next to each other, doing life with each other, learning and loving and growing with each other. And this is what we see at this dinner that Matthew throws. And as we prepare to evangelize and tell others about Jesus We need to do the same. We need to facilitate an encounter for others to meet Jesus. So let's go back to our notes. Who do you have relationship with that you could invite? And so we're actually going to do this right now. I want you to think of 10 people. Consider Matthew's list. Jesus and some disciples. So some people who already know about Jesus and some disreputable sinners. So if you're watching this at home or you're watching this later, I want you to do this too. I want us to actually create a list 
write it down. Who are 10 people that you could invite? And so you'll need a mix, right? So let's consider at least three to four people who you would put in the category of Jesus and his disciples, right? People who know about Jesus. They love Jesus. They can help tell the story of Jesus in their own lives, all of that. But then you also need people on the list who don't know Jesus. And uh, it's important to have this mix on the list in case this list ever falls into the wrong hands. You can just say, well, who's the disciple? Who's the sinner, right? But keep in mind that your list should be a mix. It's not evangelism if your group is all disciples. That's a church leadership meeting. So consider your invite list. And actually, we're going to do it right now. Take out your notes. I'm going to do my notes here. So 10 people. Put it up on the board for you. We're facilitating encounter. I want you to come up with 10 names. Now, I also recognize that we have multiple learning styles. And so if maybe you just want to get three or four on your list and you want to take this home as homework, that's okay. But it will be due at some point. So 10 names. Let's just take a moment now. Sit through the awkward silence. 10 names. I'll give you 60 seconds. Ten more seconds. Okay, if you weren't able to get all ten, feel free to take that home. Keep thinking on that. But let's dig a little deeper into this how-to of facilitating encounter. Matthew invited people into his home for dinner. He served people by opening his home and feeding them. And I feel like inviting people into your home and feeding people is an incredible evangelism effort. And so what are some natural opportunities for you to serve people? So let's think about now locations. And in the same way that we did 10 names, I want you to think of 10 locations. 10 locations where you regularly go, where you regularly spend your time. And consider your personality. For example, in this season of my life, I'm okay at hosting people in my home, but I'm actually much better uh, in coffee shops and on walks. It's just a little bit less stress for me than cooking and bringing people into my home. I'm better at connecting when I'm moving around or doing something purposeful. So think about your own personality and where you could host people. And so this could also be like in your workplace, at the park, 
in your home, but just think about, so let's come up with again, where could you host people? Think about, I don't know, five to 10 locations where you regularly go. Ten more seconds. As you have to like actually think about this facilitating encounter and as you think about the names of ten people and the locations where you might go, how does that make you feel? You don't have to answer that out loud right now, but I think we should be aware of this idea of like, if your list of 10 people, it's hard for you to come up with 10 people that you could talk to Jesus about. We want to like make sure that we're living the types of lives where we could be in connection with 10 people who might need an encounter with Jesus. And we want to think about how God is using every place where we regularly go, from your workplace to the soccer games to the baseball field to uh, just the ways that you interact with people, maybe at the library. These are all opportunities to facilitate an encounter with Jesus. And so, again, recapping. Step one is to decide if you're going to follow Jesus. And then if yes, then step two is facilitate an encounter for others to meet Jesus. And practically, we're thinking about this as like actual people and actual places. Which leads me to the final element, which, which is what do you do once you've got your people and your place? Now, the text doesn't say this, but if I had to guess, Matthew had to do a bit of an introduction between these dinner guests and Jesus. Something like, hey everyone, I've gathered you here today in my home. We've got dinner here. And I want you to meet this Jesus person that I've come to an encounter with. And he's changed my life. Like he had to talk a little bit about it. Matthew had to tell his story and how his story intersected with the story of Jesus. And this is an important part of the evangelism process. You're making the connection between Jesus and these people. And one of the best ways to do this is step three, tell your story. Tell your story. I think this is also the part that makes us the most nervous about evangelism. It's the part that seems hard. It's like we feel like we're going to mess something up. We feel like we don't have the right words or the person will ask us a question that we can't answer. And so uh, Mandy talked about it earlier, but we have this uh, 411 evangelism class coming up next Saturday. I think that'd be a great place for you to start working through 
this process to get rid of some of the nerves so that you don't feel so nervous about evangelism. But the great news about telling your story is that you hold all the details. In this particular evangelism class today, we're not necessarily working through the scientific evolutionary tales or deconstructionism, although I think it's important to know how to navigate those topics. But at the heart of evangelism is your story and how your life with Jesus makes more sense than your life without Jesus. And even if you can explain the cosmos, but you can't describe how Jesus makes you stop lying and cheating, how it makes you a better person, your ability to explain means nothing to the people around you. And so here's what I see in this story. Something about Jesus causes Matthew to leave his job behind. Matthew's story and our story is that message. What compelled you to follow Jesus? And what keeps calling you back to keep following Jesus? And so for our work here together in this class, this is where we might have divergent paths. So for those of you who have, uh, who have a time before Jesus, like I just want you to take a few moments to write down some sentences about your life, what your life was like before Jesus. If I had met you at that time, what would I recognize about your life? What would I be able to see? Now, for those of you who have known Jesus your whole life, I think there is value in saying that that's part of your story. You don't need to like, feel uh, like weird about the fact that you have always followed Jesus. I feel like that's a beautiful part of your story. Your story of being a lifer is an important detail to note as you're introducing people to Jesus. So another way to think through this telling of your story is like, what draws you to Jesus? What is it about the character of Jesus that would make you want to follow him like Matthew did? And the ability to tell your story in a practical and authentic way will point people to the arms of Jesus. So it's important to spend some time thinking about this. And so I just want you to take a few moments. Can you just like bullet point maybe like three, three standout things about your story that might make sense in why you follow Jesus, why you're drawn to Jesus, or how Jesus has made you different from who you were before you knew Jesus. Just take about 30 seconds now. And so I want to just take a moment to recap what we've discussed here in class today. We're putting this all together. When we think about practical steps to evangelism, step one is decide. Everybody say decide. decide. Step two is facilitate encounter. Say facilitate encounter. Facilitate encounter. Step three, tell your story. Tell your story. All right. 
So we've talked about, we've looked at Matthew's story. We've looked at an actual story from the Bible. We've done some work on our own. So now let's try a practical application. We want to apply what we've learned and what we've examined. And so I want to demonstrate my example in front of you right now. So here we go. This is my putting it all together. Well, I've invited you all here today. Uh, so I kind of went above and beyond the 10. Thank you very much. Um, but I've invited you here today. This is my church home. And I want to welcome you into my church. I hope that when you came in today, you felt welcomed. I hope you had coffee and you had, or lemonade and that you felt, felt greeted with smiling people. I hope you like the space that we've created here, the atmosphere. And for those of you online, I hope this experience is one that allows you to feel like you are here with us in person as much as possible, that you're an important part of this service. I hope we made it clear what we are doing here and gave you like the information you needed to know so that you understand the flow of service and that we put words on the screen during worship so that you're able to sing with us. I hope you felt something good when you walked in. We like to refer to that good feeling as the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I hope you felt that when you came in. I just want to take a moment now to share a little bit of my story. I grew up in the church, and I don't remember a time when I didn't know Jesus. I loved the rituals of the Lutheran church and would gather anyone who would listen so I could preach to them and give them communion from a shot glass and torn up pieces of bread. I remember pressing my hands against the TV screen to televangelist Robert Tilton, just in case it worked, whatever he was talking about. I attended Lutheran school and was mentored by faithful teachers and youth leaders. I have known the church to be a safe place my whole life. And even with that phenomenal upbringing, I have experienced seasons and times of darkness. For me, I struggle with anxiety, and it is something that has marked my adult life. It's something that I wish I didn't have to deal with. With anxiety, I have found that my fears and worries, though, rest in the very capable hands of Jesus Christ. Even if my worst fears and anxiety reach my doorstep, I am secure in Jesus. And while I struggle, I do not struggle without hope. I know there is healing for me both here on this earth and in my future home of heaven. And as a Christian, I am a part of a community of believers who pray with me and for me for my healing in this life. Some of you who are sitting in here today are my friends who I call when I am all up in my anxiety. And you say things like, come on over, let's pray for you. Let's sit with you. Or, Shannon, let's sit and let's pray through this, let's talk through this, let's do this. And that is the community of faith that I am a part of. And so I choose to follow Jesus because I have found peace in knowing he carries my world. He carries my kids and my husband. And I am reminded daily that Jesus wants me to love others, too. And that makes me a better friend, a better neighbor, and better co-worker. I am more patient and kind because I follow Jesus. Now, I mess up on a regular basis, but I am here for a purpose, and I want other people to encounter Jesus so that they too can find freedom from things like anxiety 
and that they can live a life that makes them more patient and kind and loving. I think the world would be a better place. I know the world would be a better place if more people chose to follow Jesus. Now, this isn't my whole story, and I'd love to keep sharing more of my story with you over coffee or on a walk. But I stand before you today as a person who knows without a doubt that I am deeply and completely loved by my Creator God. I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and for you so that we could experience a relationship with God here on earth. And that relationship allows me to experience peace and joy in the midst of terrible things. Jesus' death on the cross also secures my eternity, and I know I will spend eternity in the presence of my Savior in a place where there is no sadness or anxiety or sickness or death. And all of this is available to you too, if you choose to follow Jesus. And I would just say that the legacy of a Christian life is really important. I talked about how I have known Jesus my whole life. And um, right now, our family sits, um, my grandfather is, has decided to go on hospice. And he has lived a long and beautiful life. And I got to tell you, the peace that comes from knowing that he knows his Lord and Savior. And he says, I'm ready to go home. And I don't know how long this will be. I don't know what tomorrow holds. But I am so grateful that I come from a line of people who find security and peace in the loving arms of Jesus so that when death comes knocking on your doorstep, there is sadness for sure because this death is the enemy. But there is hope in Jesus Christ. And I, I don't know if I could do this life without it, without the hope that Jesus provides. So if you are here today or you are watching and you want to follow Jesus and become his disciple, you can invite him into your life by saying a prayer with me. And we're going to put some words on the screen. And I'm just going to ask everybody to read with me together. And so if you've already followed Jesus, you're just going to be the chorus that's going to buoy this, uh, the rest of us. And so feel free if you are at home too, we want to pray with you. And so we're just going to read this together. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. And so if you just prayed that prayer for the first time and you invited Jesus into your heart, we just want to begin a journey with you of what it looks like to follow Jesus with your whole heart for your whole life. And for those of you who are, have already decided and are just looking for ways to facilitate encounter, we want to be very practical we want to be very on point about who we're inviting and where we're inviting people to so that we can tell our story and how our story is different because it includes the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> 